Well, all right, as we end the semester and the year, we typically traditionally end this on a senior Sunday. It's kind of what we do, it's kind of a different program. We typically have asked a couple seniors who have been involved here at Grace and been at A&M, who uh, will ask them to kind of distill some of the key lessons and things that they've learned from their time here at A&M. A few lessons they'd love to pass on even to you guys as they look at transitioning to something new the Lord has for them down the road. Uh, we've asked two particular seniors, Zach Clammer and Lauren Payne, to come share with us. And uh, both have been involved in different ways here at Grace. Both have been involved in different elements of campus life as well. And both, I feel like, have had an incredibly violent, vibrant walk with the Lord. Not violent, walk with the Lord. <laughs> Definitely not violent, all right? <laughs> it's not what you want in an intro, right? All right. Both have had uh, an amazing, vibrant walk with the Lord. Also have had, I think, an incredible impact, not just here at Grace, but even on our campus at large in differing areas. And so I wanted them to have an opportunity to kind of speak with you guys, share with you guys. And then after they're done, then Josh is going to come up. Josh Shuttle, one of our interns, and kind of give us a message from the Word as we look at transitioning into the summer and into a new chapter of life. And so why don't you guys give a hand for Zach. Well, howdy. howdy. It hasn't been that violent, but <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm Zach. Um, I'm about to graduate in six days with mechanical Woo! engineering, and uh, this is my super senior year, so a little bit of extra advice for you guys. Um, <laughs> It's great to see everybody. Uh, I'll just jump right in with a, a, cu- a few key lessons that uh, I've learned these past five years. Uh, one of them has been just getting plugged into community. Um, we are meant to thrive in community, and you know we're meant we're a part of a body, of the body of Christ. And uh, you know I'm specifically talking about a community that uh, is Christ-centered and seeks truth, and uh, celebrates individualism, but also emphasizes togetherness. Um, And, you know, grace has really been a vital community for me uh, in that way. I've really been challenged to to grow here and learn. And I I co-led prayer team here at Southwood. That was great. You know, I've just had the opportunity to improve upon my leadership and communication skills. I've loved it. I, I got the opportunity to go to East Asia um, and that was awesome. A lot of great people here. And my main advice is I want to encourage you guys to get plugged into a community because, and the right one, because, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, everybody's basic instinct, you want to belong, you want to be accepted and be loved, and you go searching the wrong places, and uh, you don't want to get involved with a group that's just interested in self-glorification because, People just end up devouring each other, and that's no good. Another thing that I've, I've learned here is to, to take advice and to seek it out as well. I think my mindset coming into college was, uh, okay, well, now it's time to be independent, and so that means I, I'm going to be completely autonomous. You know, I, I'm going to do things out of my own ability, my own wisdom. But since, since then, I've learned that true wisdom comes from the Word, and from the Spirit, and uh, he often uses other people, so, and specifically the people in those communities that I'm talking about. So Grace has been an awesome community for me, and I will be uh, interning next year here at Grace. I'm super excited. I'm excited to get to know you guys even more. I think that's all I was going to say. So thank you, guys. Howdy, guys. How are y'all? 
Um, well, my name is Lauren, for those of y'all who I don't know, and I'm a senior communication major, and I'm graduating in five days. I um, have to keep pinching myself because it doesn't feel real, but it's kind of hard to follow Zach because I'm only um, a fourth-year senior, so I don't know if my wisdom is quite as strong as his is, but um, I'm just going to share with you guys just a little bit about what I've learned at my time here at a and and um, as I was kind of like thinking and praying about what I wanted to talk to y'all about, the two, like biggest lessons I feel like I've learned are the importance of surrounding yourself with um, a community of believers and then also just being salt and light. And I would say definitely in that order because you're not going to be able to pour out um, and be a light if you are not filling yourself up and really just surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded in the sense that they're chasing after Jesus um, hard and that they're in the word and that they live their lives by his truth. But I would also say, y'all, it's just interesting to think about, like, we always talk about the Christian bubble and how there's thousands that go to Breakaway um, and how we're such a believing campus. But there are so many more people who don't know um, Jesus here in College Station that y'all wouldn't realize. And it's kind of interesting. Last summer, I felt like God was calling me to go to Greece on a summer project. And um, summer projects are just incredible. And um, I was all set. But then just um, the Lord just threw some things with my family and just other ways that he was leading me. I ended up staying here in College Station and working um, at a restaurant. And I'm not going to lie, I was definitely really just frustrated and confused at why God had um, staying here in College Station rather than going overseas and serving him in that way. And I honestly just you know, I was just frustrated. Um, but it was just really neat to see just the way that the Lord really opened just incredible doors for me to share my faith here in town. And so with that, I would just challenge you guys, you're everywhere is a mission field. Um, you can always be a light for Christ. And, um, so don't think that you have to go overseas to, um, share your faith and to make a difference. Having said that, I think that it's definitely an awesome opportunity to go on summer projects. And some of my roommates and best friends have gotten to go and, the Lord use them that way, but definitely don't limit what Christ can do in your life, just where you're at. And then just, I um, had the blessing of getting to be a part of growth groups and also be a leader um, of a growth group for a year here. And that was just hands down one of my favorite um, experiences in college. So I just encourage you guys to get involved here. It really pushed me out of my comfort zone and um, really held me accountable. It's kind of crazy just when you're put in a position to teach others about the word, how inadequate you feel. And um, just the Lord just really used it to humble me, but also to show me that his power is made perfect in my weakness. And so, and just the community that I gained from that. And it just really, um, I don't know if I've ever done a grace study, but they are deep and just like really dig deep into the word. And so it just really encouraged me in my own personal time with Christ to really not just skim over it for five minutes, but to um, just really go deeper. And then I would just kind of say like, a few pieces of advice that I've gained. Um, someone a lot wiser than me told me this, that the two eternal things in this life are the souls of men and the word of God. And so those are the two things that you should invest your time in. Um, so I would just encourage you guys, whatever that looks like in your life, I haven't done it perfectly for sure. I am still figuring out what that balance looks like, but um, just really to think about the priorities in your life and the things that really last um, because those are the things you should spend your time on. And then I would just say, just push yourself out of your comfort zone. Don't let yourself be comfortable and take risks. That's something I wish I would have done more in college. And then I would also say never stop learning and um, never stop growing because there's never a point in life when you've arrived. You're always going to be growing. And so I would just say, find a mentor, um, find people in your life that you can be investing in and 
really surround yourself with great community. And yeah, I'm actually excited to say that I'm going to be doing consulting um, in Houston. And so I'm going to be moving there this summer. And I just definitely am nervous because um, I know the learning curve is going to be steep, but um, I'm excited for what God's going to teach me. And I'm just excited um, to apply what I've learned here. And so I would say to you guys, soak in every minute. It just flies by. So thank you guys. Well, like Trey said, I'm, my name is Josh Shottle and I'm a I'm an intern here at Southwood. Uh, been doing that all year. Uh, it's been a blast. I grew up in Hallsville, Texas, a little northeast uh, from here a little bit, east of Longview, east of Tyler, east of Dallas. That's the progression we go through every time. But grew up there my whole life, graduated in 2008 from high school, and then went to East Texas Baptist University in Marshall as a freshman, transferred to A&M as a sophomore. Praise the Lord, right? Uh, saw, the, saw the light came. Uh, graduated last May last May 2012, the degree in communication. So, be going, Lauren, that's great. We got married in June to my wife, Holly. She's sitting back here. She's also an intern. So, we've been married for a little over 10 months now, and it's been a blast. She's from Kansas. Don't hold that against her. We love her. Uh, I love her, so you have to as well. So, um, now I'm excited to have the chance to speak with you from God's Word this morning. And just as we consider going into summer, what that looks like, how we pursue the Lord faithfully. So, I'm excited to do that. So in doing so, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, uh, just chapter 12, just three verses at the very beginning of chapter 12. So you can go ahead and turn there, and I'll read it, and we'll get started. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you for Zach and Lauren and their testimonies of the work you've done in their life. God, we're we're before you now, uh, before your word asking you to reveal yourself, Father. We want to meet with you. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would just show us what it looks like to live faithfully for you this summer. So God, we lift this morning up to you. pray that you'd be glorified, and it's in your name that we pray and trust. I just remembered I forgot to show you guys something. Uh, This is my side job. I do that on the weekends every now and then. Uh, So there you are. It's terrifying. We'll move on. (laughs) This is one-time things week or so ago, but I wanted to show you. Anyways, so Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 3, starts out with running the race of endurance, and I had the opportunity to go to Greece in 2010 on a summer project, and that's awesome. Um, got the sticker here, it's good. So on summer project, we would take uh, day trips on Saturdays every now and then, and these trips were, someone who was there on that trip knows where I'm going, Uh, These trips were designed to be kind of re-energizing, help you refocus, kind of lift your spirits after a hard week on campus doing evangelism. So they're usually lots of fun. Our team leaders came to us, and they said, we're going to this really awesome gorge. Uh, It's like the deepest one in the world. It's what they told us. It's beautiful. And we're just going to kind of leisurely hike it. It's going to be great. We're like, all right, awesome. We'll bring our cameras, put our chacos on like Christians do, and we're excited. Um, Let's go. Saturday morning at 6.15 a.m., a guide walks into our hotel with a backpack carrying two toddlers, I think, inside of it, hiking poles and hiking boots. He immediately says, first words out of his mouth, 
Where are your boots? You need boots. Like, we got chacos, dude. We came to evangelize on campus. We didn't bring hiking boots on summer project with us. So we started realizing this wasn't going to be quite the leisurely hike that we had thought. So we take off. We drive for a couple hours, picking up a second guide randomly on the side of the road who's also wearing boots and has hiking poles. And we realize we need two guys, two sets of poles, two sets of boots. This is intense. Um, so we get there. Sketchy as could be, they drop us off on the side of the road. Looks like nothing around. And, and Nikos, here's a picture. There's Nikos. Here's our guide who walked in at 6.15 a.m. He's got his backpack, kids inside of it, poles, boots. He's ready to go. We get off the bus, and he goes, let's go. Watch out for bears. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're excited. Super re-energizing and just enjoyable leisure hike uh, we're going. And so this is Vicos. This is a gorge. It is beautiful, right? Yes. So we start hiking. We go down. And at first, we're just kind of going down, making our way down, watching for bears. Everything's going great. Haven't seen any yet. About the five or six hour mark in our hike, after we get down and we start going through, we're just mad. (laughs) We are tired. This is not re-energizing. This is not what we expected. It is beautiful. We have pictures. Let's get out of here. Um, let's go. I've seen God's creation. Praise the Lord. Let's go. So we kept going, and about the eight-hour mark, Nico stops, and he says, that there, that's where we're going. It looks about three days away, and like, it's at the very top of the gorge. He said, that's how we're getting out. There's a cafe up there. Just, we're done. Like, call the helicopters. We're not going anymore. You know, like, lift us out of this thing. Look how deep this is. How do we get up there? Um, and so we continue on. I'm telling you, like the nine-hour mark hits, and our team had kind of, there was a group in the front, kind of a middle group, and then a group that was kind of towards the back. So the group in the front, we got out to its part after we had started going up, and we stopped kind of waiting for everyone else to catch up. And we were missing one girl and our second guide. And they continue to just look and look and look, and we don't see them, waiting for them to come around the corner. And then finally they come around the corner, and the second guide who had been at the back the whole time had given his poles to this girl, but she was so tired, she wasn't even using them. She was just dragging them. <laughs> Trying to hike up to the top of this gorge. Exhausting. Not re-energizing. What are we doing on Saturday? This is not what we had planned. Some leisurely hike. Thanks, John and Brittany, for planning this. It was awesome. So we continue on. We get to the top. We finally make it to the top. Praise the Lord, there is a cafe up there. Before we could get inside, I kid you not, Nikos... Our guide, there he is again, kind of an older man. He's threw one cigarette and halfway done with a beer already. <laughs> as Greek as you can get, that's him right there. We thought we were going on a leisurely hike. Nikos did. We were exhausted. We just wanted water and ice cream and a bed. Nikos is acting like he hasn't done anything all day. He's ready to go again. That's what he does for a living. So he was amazing. But we were exhausted. We were ready to throw in the towel at the five-hour mark much less the eight-hour mark, like I'm sure many of you are doing right now after one day of finals, after multiple days of studying, and you're just ready for the summer to get here. You're ready to rest. You're ready to have some free time. You just want to be done. You don't want to press on. You're like, I didn't come to church to to have someone tell me to press on. I'm tired. That's what we're talking about this morning, so welcome. Glad you're here. That's where we're at. We open Hebrews 12, and we see, run the race with endurance that's been set before you. And so as we look at life as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, a person of faith, 
you've started a race. And it's not a nine and a half hour hike through a gorge that you're exhausted on. It's not a couple semesters of school a year. It's not a few series of short sprints that you run. If I ever ran, it was just short sprints. It wasn't a marathon. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what we're on. We're on a marathon of faith that we're called to endure for a lifetime. We don't run it in short sprints. It doesn't match up with our semesters of school. where We're called to endure this race that's been set before us. So as we open up Hebrews 12 here, we see uh, the author telling his audience to run that race with endurance. In verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so has entangled us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Previous to this, in chapter 11, the author spent the entire time going through a list of people. Uh, so often we refer to it as a hall of faith. You hear that a lot. But he gave example after example of people who have lived faithful lives and how that's affected them. So why in the world does he do this? Why does he need to say, like other faithful people, you also be faithful. But he goes through and lists people after people and the things they've done. These people were well known to this audience. As best we can tell, the Hebrew audience is of Jewish background. They're now followers of Christ. And so he lists a lot of people we see in the Old Testament well known to them. And he says they've done this. They've been faithful. What is that? Why, why do they need to know that? I love what he says, let us also. So just like them, not that they're a hall of faith. We so often reference a Hall of Fame. What do you do when you go to a Hall of Fame or someone gets inducted to the Hall of Fame? Like, man, they're the best. You kind of applaud them. You honor them when you see them, and you move on. No one ever thinks, oh, I could do that. You know, you don't go to the Baseball Hall of Fame and like, oh, yeah, I could totally do that. My, my name will be up there someday. I don't, at least. You might. If you do, I'll take your autograph right now just for that. But anyways, you don't do that. And that's not what the, the author's done here. He hasn't given us a Hall of Faith of, man, look at these people. Applaud them. They've done great then just move on. No, he says, because these people have been faithful, let us also, let us also join with them. And so the first thing for us as we consider the summer and we look at what's coming ahead of us, who's going to be that cloud of witnesses for us? Who are going to be those faithful people that we look at and we say, man, those people, they have been faithful. They've gone through difficulties in life, but they've been faithful for a lifetime, for where the Lord is taking them right now. Who's going to be that? And so first off, we see not that we applaud those people and that we try to become like them, but it's an invitation to join in them. It says, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. Um, it's, a, it's an invitation where to be encouraged, to know that we haven't done this by ourselves. We're not in this fight alone, but there's people else also striving in faith. So be encouraged by them. Join with them. Run the race with them. Growing up, I had a group of about six friends uh, we were just best of friends. We were super close, did everything together. I was back home uh, this weekend, got in late last night. I was at a wedding for one of them, though, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But we just did everything together. And in that friend group, there was one guy named Brian. Um, some of you actually may know him if you worked at Sky Ranch. You'll know where the story's going because he's crazy. Um, and he wouldn't mind me telling you that anyways. Everybody knows it. So Brian, he's just crazy. He'd do anything. He's always kept us going, life of the party, that guy. So me and another friend of mine, Dave, we thought it was our job to be as crazy imaginary people as we could, think of the weirdest, craziest things for Brian to do, because we knew it wouldn't take much convincing, and he's on it. He's like, okay, I'll do it. So through the years, we thought it would be a great idea at one point for him to jump down a trash chute at a hotel, um, and he's like, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, 
He didn't go down and check the dumpster. Didn't see, send any of us to go check the dumpster or anything. He's just like, ah! <laughs> Brian? <laughs> yeah, I'm awesome. You know, and he's just like, did it. Uh, one time we were like, dude, take these 5,000 black cats, go crawl in this like little house cover thing for a water well and just light them. We'll shut the door behind you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he jumps in and did it and he comes out just like black stuff all over him. He's like, that's pretty cool. Probably wouldn't do it again though. Um, and then at one point, we were like, dude, get on front of that four-wheeler. There's a pond. You need to be in it, but you need to fly into it. Don't just walk into it. So we get him on front of the four-wheeler, and again, he never questions anything. And if he does, we're like, dude, it'll be fine. Okay. And so he just gets on and does it. Uh, he's that type of guy. I love him. Anyways, he gets on the four-wheeler, and we take off. Me and Dave are both on it for some reason, and we just go full speed down this hill towards a pond and just slam on the brakes, and we go about 10 feet into the water or so. And Brian just launches. Ah! What we did not know and couldn't see from the bank is that apparently there were many, many tree stumps sitting about three inches beneath the water. And Brian met one with the left side of his rift cage spot on. He's great. Uh, He literally hit, and we saw him hit and then go in the water, just kind of hit and stuck and rolled. And we're like... (laughs) That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and he rolled over and he's like, dude, that was a blast, but I'm hurt. <laughs> Somehow he didn't break any ribs. He walked off and he's at the wedding last night. He's still doing fine. Every time we get together, we're like, dude, we don't know how you're alive, but this is a lot of fun for us. So for Brian, he was not surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, I don't know if that's a good example because I'm included in that witness, but... Um, he was not included around a cloud of witnesses that were concerned for where he was going in life. We were just concerned about our entertainment and wanted to laugh, and he didn't realize that. And so what we see here in Hebrews is it's important of who you're around. You need to have people around you that are concerned for you and where you're going, and they don't tell you to do stupid stuff just for their own entertainment in the spiritual realm. So it's so important of who's going to be around us. Join with those faithful people. Just like Brian joined with us, faithful, crazy people who didn't, weren't concerned about him, really. We were We loved him. Um, but we wanted fun. But join with those faithful people. Follow their example and be with them and be encouraged by what they're doing as well. So my question for you is, where are you headed this summer and what type of people will you be around? So it's important that you consider that now before you get somewhere. You heard it from Zach. You heard it from Lauren. The people that are around you, the community you're around is so, so very important. Just like Brian was influenced by us day after day with crazy things, it's the same for us in our spiritual world and the spiritual battle that we're continuously fighting. So who's going to be around you? Are you going back home to a friend group from high school, from your hometown that's going to continuously spur you on towards the Lord? Or have you kind of come to faith or had a lifestyle change since you've come to school? And when you go back home, there's going to be temptation to revert back to that old lifestyle and to, to get back in with that friend group, it's going to negatively affect your spiritual walk with the Lord. Most definitely, like Lauren said, continue those relationships. Be with those people. But they can't be your main community or your only community because that's a dangerous situation that we revert back to. It's vital that we have a cloud of witnesses in faith. Will you be in a workplace? Are you having an internship? Are you holding a part-time job? Are you going to be influenced by other coworkers and you want to join in? You want to meet their approval so it'll help you one day as you try to get a job. Who are the people who are going to be around you? Are you going to a town you have no clue what's there, who's there? If there's a church there, you don't know. Consider that now. 
what cloud of witnesses will you have this summer? We're so easily, easily influenced by those we're around. And so it's vital that we have faithful witnesses, faithful followers of Christ that we can join in with, that we can come alongside and follow the Lord with. Uh, we see that through Scripture, how vital it is. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. we hear it all the time. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What in the world does that mean? Do we just quote it? Does it sound cool? Especially guys, we're like, iron, sharpen me. You know, like, cut stuff with it. Why do we say it? Anytime you're sharpening anything, it's so it can stand, it can resist, it can cut through some type of resistance, some type of opposition. So no matter where we are in life, there's going to be opposition. So it's so important that we're sharpened by other believers. We're sharpened by faithful witnesses so that we can stay strong and hold true to our faith against that opposition if we can cut through. So it's important and vital that we're surrounded by those witnesses. So not only does uh, it help us and spur us on and encourage us, but it also helps us be aware of the enemy. If you were here last week, you heard Jacob uh, give a great talk on the spiritual warfare out of Hebrews 6. He, I just combined Ephesians and Hebrews. Mark it down. <laughs> Hebrews. Anyways, Ephesians 6, he talked about the spiritual battle that we're facing. It's continuously and how we need to be aware of the battle that we face. You recall the verse out of First Peter 5. It says, Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In Hebrews, we see the author say it like this. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. It skillfully surrounds us like a snare. We don't even see it coming. It takes us down. He said it entangles us. And so often, you know, we just going through life. We have a different change in schedule. We just don't even see things coming. The language here, kind of the image that he draws with the sin that so easily entangles has been from a reference to like runners or athletes in a race. And they would, there was a chance, the possibility for their, their toga that they would have been wearing to fall to the ground and in a sense wrap around their feet, entangle their feet, and it would bring them, it would trip them, essentially disqualifying them from the race. They would not be able to finish well because their feet had been entangled. They would fall, they would trip, and not able to finish the race. And so what they did is they would be aware of that. So they would be aware of the temptation of the opportunity that could come, that encumbrance, the weight that could hold them down or trip them up and keep them from finishing well. And so they would pull it up high. I guess like that's why the old men do that, where they have the suspenders that pull it up to their belly, whatever, they don't want... The, the, their clothes to fall down, and one, be embarrassed, but then two, to trip and to fall and not be able to finish the race. But that's what the, the idea there is, the encumbrance, the sin which so easily entangles us, something would fall and it would trip us up and keep us from finishing and enduring the race well. Um, I, I did powerlifting in high school. It's kind of embarrassing because you wear super tight and small suits, uh, so it's not the most flattering for a guy my size or for any guy, really, really. But there was one particular meet that I had a, a pretty good lift. We did squat, bench, and deadlift. Had a pretty good deadlift. Uh, that's just where you're trying to pick the weight up from the ground and kind of bring it up to your waist. Um, had a, a good lift. And so on Monday, we got back to school. Some of the guys in the athletics period were like, dude, that's stinking awesome lift. Like, that's pretty heavy stuff. How hard was it? How easy was it? What was it like? And so I was like, well, it was, you know, pretty difficult. But then again, it wasn't, you know, trying to make myself sound good and feel good. They're like, so it was difficult, but it wasn't. They're like, that makes no sense. You're contradicting yourself. Was it hard or was it not? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't explain it. They're like, well, show us. So I walked over to the deadlift platform, and there was a bar there with 135 pounds on it. And for deadlift, that's not a ton of weight. And so I was like, all right, I got to make this look real. Um, so I get down, and I start picking it up. 
And uh, I'm trying to make it resemble the lift from Saturday in our meet, which was, you know, one of my best lifts. And what I forgot to do was two very important things in the world of weightlifting. One, I wasn't breathing properly. Never good. Especially when you get to the top of your lift and you lock your knees out. That, those two combinations do not work well. So the next thing I know is I can tell I'm laying on my back. The world is like spinning, but there's a ton of metal stuff clanging around. And I realize I'm in the weight room. And I'm like, why am I napping in the weight room? <laughs> and other people are lifting weights. What am I doing sleeping in here? So I finally get, I realize where I am and I open my eyes. And there's a coach with this huge beard kind of bending over me. And I can't tell you what his first words were. But he says, essentially, you better be kidding me, boy. And my first words were, what in the world happened? And so what they told me was that you weren't breathing right. The, the lift looked super difficult, so good job on that. But you weren't breathing right, and when you got to the top, you locked your knees, and immediately you hit the ground like that, fell over frontwards over the bar. And then at about that time, I realized my face was hurting like crazy, and my forehead was bleeding. And I had no clue how it happened. And so it's the same thing we see here is, is a sin so easily entangles us. We're going through, we're trying to demonstrate something that's everyday life. And before we know it, we're on our back. Our face is hurting, blood coming from our forehead. And people are looking at you like, what in the world are you doing? You're so caught up, you're so entangled. And you just hit your back. You're entangled by this sin. You didn't even see it coming. And for the Hebrew audience, um, sorry, it so easily entangles us. For the Hebrew audience, uh, for them, it was, you know, they were a, a Jewish background. They had Jewish customs that they had started to lay aside to pursue the Lord in faith, but they were facing persecution. So to kind of paint this, understand that the Hebrew audience uh, it would closely resemble a church uh, in a close country where Christianity isn't allowed. That's, where, that's who this audience is for the Hebrews, uh, kind of the persecution they're facing for following the Lord and for having the faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what they're facing. For them, it was, man, if I just, if I just revert back to this old traditions, these old way of life, I won't be persecuted. I can still have my faith. I just want to be very outward, very vocal. I won't really live it out publicly. But I'm just going to revert back to, to kind of hide and, and keep from being persecuted. But for us, it can, it can be in many different ways. It can be motivated by di- many different things. And so for you going into the summer, I challenge you to, to think about in what ways are you tempted? What's going to be motivating to you? Is it the old friend group that you still want to be best buds with? You still want to fit in. Is it the coworkers? Is it the workplace for your internship or part-time job that you want to fit in well with the coworkers? What is it? What's going to motivate you to essentially lay your faith aside in that workplace or to your friend group or wherever you are? If you're working at a camp, if you're going overseas, is it going to be tempting? Is it going to be hard for you to be around the things of God on a daily basis, doing the things of God on a daily basis? but missing out on who God is personally and relationally. It occurs in all spheres of life, no matter what we're doing, workplace, back home with friends in school at A&M, working at a camp, working overseas, working in a church. There's all sorts of temptation and motivations in the way things appear. So it appears in various ways. We have to each evaluate how the enemy attacks us. So that's the next question, is what situations are you vulnerable in? When are you tempted? What is it? For summer, you have a lot more free time, for some of you, some of you continue with school, you get jobs, and it may get busier, or you may be traveling all over the place. But for the most part, we're able to relax a little bit more. And there's a danger of becoming idle, 
Or maybe you're going back home to that friend group, and so you're just mixed of like, well, do I hang out with them? Where's my community? What am I doing? Maybe you just have free time at home all day long. Or maybe you're here in town when everybody else vacates this place. That's what I hear. I've never been here in the summer. I will be this summer. Looking forward to it. But is it going to be isolation for you? What's it going to be? Is it going to be the workplace? Is it going to be the coworkers? So in what place are you most vulnerable? And when and how will the enemy attack? And nobody in knowing, we talked about last week, we know that there's an enemy. We know that he prowls around seeking to devour us, seeking to have us in an instant, on our back, face bleeding, forehead hurting, all that stuff. So nobody knows that that's coming and just sit still without having any type of plan without putting something in place. Fighting Texas Aggies, don't walk on into a field on Saturday. That's funny. I mentioned the fighting Texas Aggies, and everybody's like, (laughs) hadn't been listening, but you said Aggies, and I'm all over it. (laughs) It's great. Um, Sorry. Um, But but they don't walk onto a field on Saturday, or the baseball team, the volleyball team, girls' basketball team. They don't ever walk onto a field or a playing court. No country, hopefully, will ever walk onto a battlefield that they've known was coming for years or months without having a plan, without having some type of defense of, okay, we can move here, but we need to be careful moving this direction. Okay, those people, we can move towards them. They're our allies. Those people are our enemies. Nobody doesn't know those things, hopefully in those situations. And so we've been told last week, we spent the whole time talking about there's this enemy who prowls around, he seeks to devour us, there's spiritual forces fighting against us, and that's what our battle's against. We know that. It's through Scripture. So what's our plan? What do we do? And we see here, our ultimate plan is that we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. What better plan could we have? We sang about, hey, he's been to the cross, his perfect life. He's been there, he's done that, he laid down his perfect life. And that's what we fix our eyes on. He's the one that we fix our eyes on. Look here in uh, verse 2. Um, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So while it's important that we have these witnesses, these faithful witnesses that we can be spurred on and encouraged by and join in in faith with them and live life with them, while it's important for them, we all agree that they're still humans and they're not perfect examples of faith. You look through the list in Hebrews 11, and if you read that and you know some of the stories from the Old Testament, you say, yeah, they were faithful, but... There was this one account where Sarah kind of laughed in God's face whenever he said, you're going to have a baby. It says in Hebrews 11 that she was faithful and able to have a son because she believed and she had faith in Christ. Even past her years of ability to conceive, through faith she had that child. But when you look at the story, she also laughed the first time. She said, there's no way I'm going to have a child. I'm old. That doesn't happen anymore. And then you look on, and in Hebrews 11 it says, I can't even mention so-and-so and so-and-so and David and these other guys. I, can't, I don't even have time to mention them, but you know their stories. You look at David. He's the guy who's known to be after God's heart. But then you recall in a time of idleness where he wasn't with his, with his people. He was on a rooftop alone, isolation. He was idle. Is when adultery hit and then which led to murder. So you see these people, while they're great examples of faith, just like in our own life, we have great examples of faith that at the end of the day they're still human and not perfect. So in no way do we focus on them and say, man, I want to be exactly like them. No, you don't. They're still sinners, and that's not our goal. Even though they may have great lives and great examples of faith, our ultimate goal is that we don't want to be with them. We fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus Christ is the one 
who's endured the cross. Jesus Christ is the one who came to earth as God, faced temptation, faced the day, everyday uh, demands of life, and lived perfectly through that. He perfected faith. He is our greatest example. So we fix our eyes on him. And if our ultimate game plan is to fix our eyes on Jesus, then why don't we follow his example? Why don't we do the same thing that he does? Look at it here, what it says about how Jesus um, overcame this world and what allowed him to endure even the cross. It says verse, in verse 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think so often for us, as we go through life, we see these different things that are coming up. Like, man, there's this obstacle coming. We're going to have to deal with it in a week. It's going to be hard. And we begin to focus too much on that. What does it say about Jesus here? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I don't think in any way that Jesus thought and focused on the cross, and that is what allowed him to do that. I think Jesus knew his promise that one day he was going to sit down at the throne of God, at his right hand, at the throne of God, and that was going to be joy, and that was going to be completion, that he wasn't going to be on this earth anymore. He would be ascended, and that's the joy, and that's what he focused on, and that's what allowed him to endure the cross. The most humiliating, the most awful punishment and crucifixion, he endured it perfectly faithful to the very end because he was focused on what had been promised and what was to come. And so for us, that's what we're here to do. Hopefully if we're believers in Christ and we've trusted in him, we know that our ultimate, ultimate goal is not just to make it through life, but it's the one day to be seated in heaven with Christ and to be with him for eternity. And that's our hope. And so it's important for us to follow Christ's example and that we don't focus on the demands of life every day and get so caught up on them and how difficult they're going to become, but we focus above on Christ and what our ultimate goal is to one day be with him And through that, wherever the race takes us, whether it's summer, whether it's fall semester, whether it's June and July, where you have to take a semester, I'm sorry if you've had to do that. It's awful. But if that is what you have to do, if you will be able to endure it, whatever else life may bring you, whatever the difficulties are, I know there's troubles that are much bigger than a June summer class. I know that for sure. But whatever the race may take you, wherever the course directs you, focus on the joy that you have if you've trusted in Christ then that's what it will allow you to endure it, just as that's what allowed Christ to endure the cross, the most awful punishment, crucifixion ever. And if you haven't trusted in Christ today and you don't have that joy and you say, man, this life is hard and I don't know what to do, it's difficult, I don't know how in the world to get through it, you have that opportunity. You have the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the way it affects you each day and every day as you live for him. And that's through Jesus, that's through him. We're sinful people, separated, deserve death, but Christ came. He died on the cross, taking our punishment for us. Three days later, rose again, and he's ascended, and now he's experiencing what was promised. See, he wasn't focused on what the course was taking him. He was focused on what was promised, and because of that, he endured faithfully. He endured the cross. He endured everything perfectly faithful, and now he's experiencing what has been promised, and we are able to have that same promise to you that one day we'll be in eternity with Jesus forever. So if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, I invite you to consider that today. You have the opportunity to have a joy set before you of being with Christ for eternity. And that's through faith, through belief in what Jesus has done for you, your need for him and saying, I believe, I need that joy, and I want to be with Jesus for eternity.
that's available to you today. And that's what allows us to face this world and wherever the course may take us. And also in considering Christ, we're really able to gain perspective uh, on what this life brings us. When you think about what Christ has done, what he's endured, it really puts things into perspective for what we face in everyday life as college students where we're just living off of the dollar menu at McDonald's because that's all we have. It doesn't seem so bad. I hope you don't do that. Um, that's awful. We'll talk about that later, too. That's another topic. Um, but it really puts into perspective for what we face and what we endure on a daily basis. We consider the cross and what Jesus has taken on, and it allows us to understand uh, what that is. We'll go back again and tell another story about Brian. I feel like any sermon I give from this point forward, probably two out of three examples will be about Brian. But anyways, Brian, he continued on at East Texas Baptist University in Marshall. It's 15 miles from Hallsville, so a little over three hours from here. He decided one weekend he was going to come down to College Station and visit uh, me and another one of our friends that transferred down the same time I did. And so he leaves. We were expecting him to be here around 8 or so that night. We're going to get dinner, hang out. He leaves Marshall with two other guys that he got to come with him. And uh, we get a call from him about three hours later. He's like, dude, you go through Dallas to get to College Station? (laughs) Nah, dude. You see, Hallsville and Marshall were kind of here, about 15 miles apart from each other. College Station would be here, and Dallas is directly west here of Hallsville and Marshall. That dude, just out of habit, I think he forgot to put College Station actually in his GPS, and so it just naturally took him to where he had been previously. He just got in and started driving and went to Dallas and had no clue. (laughs) They in no way were focused on where they were going and where they had hoped to be at all. And so they get there, they finally realize where they need to go, so they head down 35, and how they got off 35 before they got to Waco, I have no clue. They eventually ended up on some country back road that they were driving down. I guess they wanted to see something cool, and they did. They saw a bridge that was flooded um, to the point where they couldn't cross it after driving down this road for about 45 minutes. And so (laughs) they get to this bridge. They can't even see the guardrails. It's just flooded completely over. They've got big construction things blocking them off, and so they get out and take some cool pictures, but then they've got to backtrack again 45 minutes in the direction they just came from. So miraculously, Brian and these two other guys, they turned what should have been about a three-hour trip, three-hour and 15-minute trip, into a little over eight hours of driving. It's amazing. Only Brian can do such a thing. They have cool stories, and they saw a flooded bridge. But the point is they were not focused on where they were heading. And the same thing is for us. The moment we begin to take our eyes off of where we're headed, we get off track, and we're backtracking. We have no clue where we are. We've just naturally gone a different route to where the world's taken us, and we are so far from where we were heading and where we wanted to be. The minute we begin to take our eyes off Jesus is whenever we begin to seek, begin to sink. Look at the example of Peter here in Matthew 14, 28 through 30. It says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on water. I wish I was Peter so bad in this moment, and I would have said the same thing. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. At what point did Peter begin to sink? The moment he took his eyes off of Jesus. He became so distracted on the wind and the waves and the, the um, opposition that was against him. He became focused on that, and at that point, he began to sink. And he was fighting even more and more of the water as he sank. More and more resistance against him because he had taken his eyes off of Jesus. 
He said, Lord, save me. At that point, the Lord reached out and picked him up and brought him to him. It's the same for us. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, no matter where we are in life, we're losing focus of where we're headed and what our eternal hope is, and we begin to sink. We begin to sink into that temptation that so easily entangles us, that takes us down when we don't even see it, that throws us on the mat over a bar, and then our face is bleeding and our head is bruised. We're asking what in the world happened. This isn't what I thought I was set out to doing. I just wanted to show you guys something cool. That's not what happened. We were devoured by the enemy. So if Jesus is our ultimate goal, he is what we're focused on. That's what we're working towards. In life in general, that's what we're focused on this summer as well. So just as we hope to and one day be with Jesus for eternity, and when we get to that point, whenever this life may end for us, and we hope to hear, well done, well done, you've been faithful. It's our prayer this morning that as you walk through summer, you can hear, well done at the end of it. That you've been surrounded by faithful witnesses that have spurred you on and encouraged you and sharpened you to face opposition, that you can stay strong, and that you have fixed your eyes on Jesus, that you're so focused on the hope set before you and the joy set before you, that you've stayed strong, you've persevered, and you've kept going, you've been faithful, you've gained perspective. You say, Lord, I'm focused on you. Whatever this life may bring, I'll endure it because I'm not focused on it. I'm focused on you. And because of that, it's going to take me over and through those obstacles and whatever may come. So in closing this morning, consider a few things and how we can prepare now. Some of you are done. I think I saw like three people who are done already. Praise the Lord. Celebrate. That's great. Saw a smile from all three of them right there. They're excited. The rest of them are all mad at you. (laughs) And they don't want to talk to you afterwards. Like, go eat lunch by yourself. Um, I've got to go do study and stuff. But we've got to prepare now. You've got one, two, three days before the summer starts, wherever it's taking you. Start to prepare now. Just like we have a game plan before we go, thinking now. If you haven't started now, started thinking now, think now. So how can we do that? Who will surround you this summer? We asked that question earlier. Consider who's going to be around you. What circumstances are you going to be around? What people in the workplace are you going to be around? Do you know them? I challenge you that if you don't know them, if you don't know where people that are in place you're going, or if you just kind of do, but you're not sure, take initiative now in setting something up. You've seen the importance. You've heard it from Zach and Lauren this morning. You see it all through Scripture, how we're meant to live life together and community is so important. Take initiative now in setting that up before you get somewhere. Do some research on churches wherever you're going. Try to find some connections with people wherever you're going. There's people in this room all over from different places. Ask around. See where people are from and see if you can get some connection. If you have faithful witnesses here in this town, then set that up this week. Say, hey, look, I'm going to call you a couple times a week, or can you call me a couple times a week? Consider Jesus and see the importance of living faithfully for him, and that will lead you to take these steps and take the initiative now. Secondly, in being aware of the enemy, what steps do you need to take to guard against him? What steps do you need to take now over the next couple of days to take or to guard against anything that may come Situations that you're vulnerable in, whether that's idleness, isolation, workplace, how can you guard against those things? Observe those red flags, take those warnings, and prepare in advance for how the enemy may attack you before you end up on your back on the floor. And then lastly, as we said, our ultimate game plan, our biggest focus is the person of Jesus and the life that he lived and how he perfectly lived a faithful life, even enduring the cross, faithful the entire time. If that's our ultimate game plan, then I invite you to focus on that this summer. We're called to focus on it for a lifetime. Focus on the person of Jesus through the Gospels this summer. 
take some time, read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the books that record Jesus' life and his ministry on earth. Do some evaluation of him. Look at him as a person. Look at him as fully as the person of God, fully God, fully human. Evaluate his characteristics. How did he respond to different things? What were his teachings? Fix your eyes on him. God's given us his word. Maybe study it. So convicted by this that we just say, man, I need, need to spend some time in the word. God's revealed himself through word. He's given it to us for us to read and to learn about him. Look at it. Let's look at the life of Jesus Christ this summer. Consider him through the gospels and ask the Lord to reveal it. Ask it to continuously transform you. If God is great, if he's high, highly lifted above, then we can never quit being transformed by who he is. Ask him to reveal himself in a new way. Consider the person of Jesus. Consider who your hope is this summer. Fix your eyes on him. Do some studies. Ask around how you can study the person of Jesus. And that will help you persevere through the summer. And then lastly, I'd say do the same thing through prayer. Ask God to reveal himself through prayer. Spend some time. I know it's weird to us because we're in the world with so much stuff going on. And we love it. So we have PowerPoints and stuff. We love all the different stuff we can see and stuff. But spend some time sitting alone in silence and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. Ask, him, ask Jesus, say, say, who are you? I have faith in you, but I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to see you evident in my life. And just give God praise for who he is through prayer. Give God thanks for who he is through prayer. Ask him to reveal himself in silence. Sit before the Lord and hear him speak with you. Now, that's what I have for you this morning. Again, it's our desire. It's our prayer. We'll be praying for you throughout the summer that you would focus on the Lord, that you would focus on who he is, and that you would continue faithful. And when we see you back in the fall or if you're going on, and we connect with you again, we can say, man, summer 2013 was great. I experienced the Lord in a big way, whether that be through hardship or whether that be just through being, experiencing him and just all his goodness. We'd love to hear you say, man, it was just a great summer where I really experienced the Lord. So commit to that this morning. Pursue him faithfully. Uh, Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and the way you've revealed yourself. And God, I just pray that you would continue to reveal yourself. Father, that we would pursue you faithfully. Father, we are broken people who sin each and every day and are in need of Jesus. Would you reveal him? God, may he transform us and just continuously um, just change our life. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. And it's your name that we pray and trust. Amen.